A School for Tomorrow acknowledges the First Nations and custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to stolen generation survivors. We recognise the intergenerational trauma that remains and our pledge to build a world that can heal through our unwavering commitment to truth-telling through the power of story and education. A School for Tomorrow stands in solidarity with our Indigenous brothers and sisters and works for justice and true reconciliation. Our acknowledgement was drafted in consultation with Leanne Wilson, a proud Vidra and Karakara First Nation descendant who acknowledges her South Sea Islander heritage. It's Phil here again. I'm back with Benson Saulo. He's been sharing stories with us in our first episode about the journey and about the character that we can acquire along the way. I'm really keen to talk with him about the way in which we manage complexity in the world because he's a person who seems to understand the depth and the breadth of things that are happening around him. I can't wait. Let's go. Hey, Benson, how are you doing there? Hey, very good. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me back. Uh, man, it's an absolute pleasure. What prepares a person to manage complexity in their world? Wow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah no good to see you as well um <laughs> no it's it's it, that is a mammoth of a question um because there's there's so many parts that i want to go down and and one is it's it's the moments that you're you're in the the dark places you know where you just you need grit where you need people around you to to be able to pull you out in, in regards to you know that's where a lot of the learning you know, comes from. But then the other side is also thinking about systems thinking as well and, and understanding how, you know, how different nodes connect and, and, and being able to zoom out and look at a bigger picture. But then there's also, you know, the other side that I think is a critical element, which is the problem solving. It's like being able to zero in and then start to almost like when you pull your headphones out of your bag and it's all tied together and you want to be able to kind of sit in it and in that kind of frustration and take the time to actually work through it. So, you know, what enables a person to, to overcome kind of complexities or in their life, it's there's, I think it's these three elements of that kind of the importance of lived experience, kind of the sitting in the, the tough situations and kind of working through them. The, the ability to kind of zoom out and, and understand how different pieces connect to very complex and, and, and convoluted and, and complicated environments around us. And, but then also the ability to just to sit and spend the time, you know, in the minute detail of problem solving. How does one person kind of learn this in their life? I don't think so. I don't think any one person can learn these three elements together. And this is why working in collaborative and inclusive teams are really important. And so the, the way that people can kind of, you know, solve complexity it's actually the wrong question. I know that's not your question, but I think that's one of the, the wrong question is actually how do we bring the right minds together? How do we be humble enough to know that we're not the experts in, in all things that we actually open the space to be able to bring people in? Because it's only when we can bring in, you know, divergent thinking and approaches in an inclusive and collaborative way that we can actually begin to solve complex problems. That's a very complex way of kind of <laughs> getting to an answer. <laughs> oh, no, that's uh, all, all, pro all props to you. And I can, I can tell this, I, I can tell the PwC consulting in your background because you turn around and say, hey, look, 
you've asked the wrong question here. We need to get the right question to get the right answer. Classic, <laughs> classic, classic piece of work. I, I, and, and I know my colleague, Adriano De Prado, my fellow Game Changer host, who um, you were at space with last year. And, and of course, you know, he sends his best wishes to you. He would talk very strongly about inclusivity. So let me follow this through for just a moment. If we need to manage complexity together rather than by ourselves, and if therefore we need to be inclusive, what is it that we can do to build inclusivity into learning experiences? It's the ability to be bold to fail. And, and I think that's the difference between a complicated and a complex problem. Um, it's the, the complex problem where, you know, the, it's the, the known unknown, it's the unknown known, it's the unknown unknown. You know, it's, it's not knowing where you're going, but the ability to test, to know that you may not get it right, to fail, but then be able to pick yourself back up as a team or as an individual to try again. You know, as a, as a tangent thought, yeah, I, I grew up skateboarding. I love skateboarding. And, and I think there's no better way to learn grit and, you know, overcoming complex problems than actually getting you know, a young kid out there and teaching them how to skateboard. Yeah, it's because it's the, it's the subtle changes that, make, that you make in your body position or your footwork. You know, it's the, the courage to know that you're probably going to end up on your ass and, um, and do it anyway. And, and then eventually the success of actually being able to solve a very complex thing. So when I look at skateboarders, I go, these kids are going to be absolutely fine. And, uh, and I think that's, that's, the, that's how we create an inclusive space is the, the knowledge that we've got your back. And if you fail, that's all right. Just get up and try again. Uh, particularly removing the grit from your knee when you fall over and you end up with a piece of the road in your knee, I would imagine. <laughs> or broken teeth in my case. Oh, broken teeth, even yes. better, even better, yep. even better. <laughs> My balance was never good enough for a skateboard, but um, I did make it onto a snowboard for a wee while with, with very predictable results. But at least I found I could go very fast, very quickly down black runs, which was very amusing for a while. If I look at what you're talking about, which is creating a space in which people can be bold enough to fail, that's a very vulnerable space. What do we need to do to build a group or a team that will have that degree of vulnerability and trust built into it. Yeah. I'm, when my mind, whenever I think about vulnerability, my mind goes to a quote from, from Bill Murray when he was asked a question, um, you know, what's it like kind of doing stand up? And he said, look, not stand up, sorry, we're doing improv. <clears throat> and, uh, and he said, you know, you have to go up on stage being willing to die every night. And, uh, and he said, but what, you, what you'll find is that you wake up the, the next morning and you get up and do it again. And, uh, and I think there's a really powerful lesson in there in regards to, you know, failure isn't fatal, that you're going to wake up, you're going to keep moving. And so it's the, the element of being able to trust the people around you, particularly saying, using as example of improv, you know, you're, you're putting things out there that you're hoping one, the audience will get, but then also if you're up there with other actors, you know, they're going to pick up and you're going to make a scene together. So the, the, the trust that someone's there to, to catch you or to back you up, you know, the, the channels or the platforms to actually take risk and, and the ability to, um, you know, the, the, I love the term, the dignity of risk, that it may be successful, it may be failed, but, you know, ultimately, you know, you're, you're trusted with the dignity to be able to make a decision to take risk. And then thirdly, the element of vulnerability is also an element of being comfortable in yourself, that you also 
are in a mature position to be able to set your own or set boundaries of the level of comfort of your vulnerability as well. And I think that's a, that's a really difficult situation. I think that comes with maturity and work on yourself to really understand where, where are your boundaries on, on vulnerability and where are your levels of comfort and discomfort. You've got quite a background in working with individuals and communities around the area of financial inclusion. Do you want to talk a little bit about your work there and ways in which we can not only create a space in which specific people can interact with each other in that courageous, bold fashion that you talk about, but how we actually get some people into the room who otherwise would not be able to get into the room? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we could we could talk about that element of, you know, getting people into the room that, that aren't necessarily you know, that have been excluded from the room. But then also, I do want to pick up, because it's almost separate, but it's similar in regards to that, that financial inclusion and financial resilience piece. And, um, and so let's start off with in regards to the room. I think that one of the most important questions that we can be asking ourselves in regards to decision-making or setting strategy is the question, whose voice is missing? And, uh, and this is a, re- a reflection on, you know, whose voice is already in the room, but then, you know, what perspective or whose perspective is actually missing. And, you know, more often than not, it will be kind of minority groups. There could be easily a gender bias within, within the room as well. And so it's also, it's about asking the question, well, whose perspective do we need to bring in um, and who's, who's absent from this conversation? That's the, that's the, the starting point, I believe. The next point is then, well, then how, how do you kind of go about bringing in that voice? And this is the difficult thing because, you know, it's, it's a difference between, you know, diversity and inclusion. And a wonderful person described the difference between diversity and inclusion is diversity is uh, being asked to the dance and inclusion is being asked to dance. And, uh, and it's that the, the challenge and even, you know, the scariness of asking in inverted commas, the other um, to, to join a conversation. And I think this is where, you know, doing your own research, looking at the organizations that you can tap into, finding, you know, finding, you know, community leaders as well, you know, being able to bring ourselves in closer proximity. So it's all around the, the immersion, the engagement, engagement um, and the connection um, in regards to identifying the voices to be able to bring them in or, or in other words, ask them to dance in the conversation that you're, you're having in the decision making. From the financial resilience piece or the financial inclusion element, there's a, there's a bit of a story and I won't go into it in great detail, but I was actually in, um, in a, a, a symposium in, in Switzerland in 2015 and the finance minister for Singapore was asked a question around, do you believe in government safety nets? And he thought on it for a while and he said, well, not really. I believe in the idea of a government safety net, but I believe more in the notion of a trampoline. So when people hit hard times, there's something there to catch them, but then something there to springboard them up. And he went on to talk about the, you know, the capabilities and um, you know, financial assets, but then he also went to speak around um, social cohesion as well. And this is almost the, the, the often forgotten about element around creating inclusive or financially inclusive or financially resilient communities is actually the, the tight knittedness of communities in regards to how we uh, operate our finances, particularly in the Aboriginal community where, you know, your money is almost not your own money. It's your your family's money, it's your community's money as well. So it's being able to understand those complexities 
but then also you know, teach or educate people around you know, financial security for themselves and then also their families. And so the, I guess where we're going with this kind of piece is the, there's the importance of asking whose voice is missing and then the importance of drawing on lived experience to inform systems and structures, but then also having the ability to listen and make change based on what you're hearing uh, as well. And that's exactly what we we're trying to do when we were looking at the financial resilience within, within Australia by taking international frameworks and applying them domestically is well, what can we learn from communities that have been managing their own money, um, but you know, may need greater supports to, to build their own financial independence. It's really, really interesting hearing you say that, Benson, because again, if you think back to what we were talking about character development in the previous episode, and we were talking essentially about the wrestling between the inside and the outside. And so much of what you're talking about there with inclusion, again, there's, there's, there's this inside element and the outside element. I think a lot of what we're seeing in the world today is the result of the development of a storyline throughout the world or multiple storylines throughout the world coming into one, one storyline around this notion of inclusion. I think it's the most complex problem that we face in the world today. And there are many different manifestations of it that fly all over the place. You know, it leads people to say and think things which 30 or 40 years ago, we reversed that position in and around it. So we spent a whole lot of time working against identifying people according to their race and according to their family background and so on, because we wanted to be colorblind. And now we're being challenged to say, actually, can you actually be colorblind? And can you actually look at systems and structures and, and things in and around that. So again, your analysis of that in terms of the systemic piece is really interesting. You describe yourself as a disciplined nonconformist. And that's, that's of course, the Martin Luther King quote. And, you know, Dr. King was pretty influential uh, for, for many people in terms of thinking around the world. What is a disciplined nonconformist? This is, a, a, I guess, a, an idea that I've been kind of exploring for the last five years. And, and you're right, it comes from a quote from um, Martin Luther King, and he said, the hope of a livable, secure world lies with disciplined nonconformists that dedicate their lives to peace, justice, and brotherhood. Now, early on, I was exploring the peace, justice, and brotherhood, but actually the, the, the gold within that particular quote is actually that, that notion of a disciplined nonconformist because these, these words, disciplined and nonconformist, sit in juxtaposition with each other. And in my mind, it's easy to be a nonconformist, you know, go against the grain, you know, they bend, break, you know, burn down, you know, but to be disciplined is to be focused. It's to, to have intent, to have an understanding of where, where you're going or, or how your actions affect something. And so the last few years has been exploring, well, well what is a disciplined nonconformist? And the best way that I can kind of answer that is um, I believe the disciplined nonconformist is someone who's willing to work within systems, be able to change systems. And as an extension of um, you know, another Martin Luther King um, quote, when he said, bending the arc towards justice. You know, he doesn't talk about breaking it off or rebuilding it elsewhere. It's actually working within the system to bend it in a way that achieves an outcome. And in, in the outcome he's referring to is a more just society. So what do you say then to young people in particular, but older people as well, who no longer have the patience and they just say, tear it down, smash it up? Well, it comes back to the, one of the first conversations we had in regards to, you know, are we always destined to, to see the change that we so sorely want to see in our lifetime? 
it's understanding that change takes time it's incremental it's slow you know sometimes you have to sit in the murkiness of it all to to be able to move things and you know this is a tension that i constantly sit with as well because there's just some injustices that just need to be changed there's just things that just need to be you know broken up and rebuilt um, and then there's other greater changes that can only be achieved when you bring others along with you and we know that changing people's mindsets changing people's approaches and pe people's ways of doing things behavioral change is it takes time to achieve but not a lot of time to revert back as well so it's that that constant educating that constant exposure a constant kind of you know moving along um to to be able to achieve an outcome so i i do sit with these tensions of working in systems to change systems but then also knowing that potentially there is and, and, and possibly you know, there is a faster way of achieving this and a very different way of achieving this and you know i've chosen my path and i you know the the best advice that i can kind of offer other people is to strive for unity rather than uniformity noting that there's not just one way of affecting change but being able to form a, an understanding or common ground of what ultimately we're trying to what are we trying to achieve and working towards that together oh, there's so much of what you're talking about that seems to me to define the very heart of a of, of someone who might be described as a game changer because a game changer is not radical a game changer is someone who actually changes the game you know it's you know it's it's uh, again it was like the, the the little throwaway line that i threw in it you know at the end of our last conversation about you know, there you are and you rock in and you decide, hey, we need an all-Indigenous esports team, let's do it. There's a moment at which you make that decision to say, let's do it, and then you step into the uncertainty. What's that like for you when you step into uncertainty? Describe that moment for me, please. Sure. It's, it's scary. But it, at the same time, there's also a muscle memory that, that you have built up. So my daughter at the moment is saying in the previous conversation, you know, she's nine months old. So she's starting to, to find a way around walking, you know, holding onto the couch and kind of walking around. You know, when I think about kind of stepping into the unknown, she's like absolutely every day waking up and about to step into the unknown. And when I make that comment about muscle memory, you know, there's been so many failings that I've, I've, I've done. You know, there's been initiatives that I've tried to start and failed at. You know, there's been jobs that I've, I've, I've gone for and I've failed at. This, this is all muscle memory to say, you know, failure isn't fatal. And so stepping into that, that uncertainty is knowing that whatever happens, you're going to be somewhere else. And, uh, and, and, you know, you're going to learn something from that as well. And so that there, there, it might be scary and you know there's been times where like i'm like, kind of overcome with a bit of with anxiety or i can't sleep because you know you know what's coming tomorrow but at the same time pretty much what you know bill murray said you have to be going you have to be willing to go up on that stage every night and die because you'll wake up the next night and wake up the next day and you'll get up and do it again yeah. and i think it is i think one of the element for for you know, educators and also from learners is how do we build that muscle memory of sitting in discomfort and then finding and forging our own comfort out of that? And I wonder, therefore, whether it's the difference between, on the one hand, courage to begin with and eventually confidence about treading a pathway of uncertainty versus certainty. I always get worried about people who are certain 
about things. And, you know, it's uh, my dad was always scathing with me when I was absolutely certain about things. And over time, I came to learn to recognise that every time I was certain, I was about to trip up big time. And I think the, the older I get, the less ideological I get in the perspectives that I have around things. It's great to have an ideology, which is a set of theories that, about an ideal world, but we don't live in an ideal world. So we can take pieces of it, but we have to acknowledge, as you, as you keep saying, lived experience, because that's the great moderator, isn't it? And that tells you what can work and what can't work. And just because it sounds like a good idea doesn't mean it's actually going to work. Yeah, but you also use the word courage as well. And, and the etymology of courage is to be wholehearted mm. as well. So I think that's, you're right, that you can't be just certain, but you know, there, there has to be a level of commitment as well. And, uh, and that's commitment to the, the process and the intent, not necessarily to a defined and predetermined outcome. And I, and I think that's where the element of courage is, is, you know, is it's most brilliance is it's that uh, to be wholehearted, it's to be committed to trying. And uh, yeah. And I think that's where the, the beauty of that word really comes out. So you're about to take a very big step in your life and you're about to show a whole lot of courage. You know, you're, you're about to become Australia's Consul General in Houston. And this is a really interesting thing because you are a person in your life who combines both this disciplined non-conformist thing with becoming the representative of the nation that to a, to a large extent you've been providing a critique of aspects of that nation over your lifetime and trying to solve problems and so on. So, so I, I see in this, this sort of really interesting blend of both advocacy and activism on the one hand, and also diplomacy and representation on the other. How are you feeling about that challenge of stepping into this new role, which probably leans more towards that diplomacy and representation side and takes you out of that advocacy activism side for a wee while at least until you do the next thing you know yeah no true no no you're right and this is something that i think deeply about because you know as a public servant which which is the role that i'm stepping into as a as a consul general you, you're you're at the to a certain line and um but then also yeah, as you mentioned you know that the game changer head or the you know the the approach of doing things differently is um you know is just part of who i am and so when I think about, well, where do these two worlds kind of come together and where can I be most effective in balancing these two tensions is actually in the role of a good convener. And I think this is something in society that, that is kind of lacking. So the ability to be able to bring people together in a you know, respectful approach and uh, an informed approach to be able to have discussions and debates and arguably in the last 10 years, particularly with the rise of you know, social media and the anonymity online, um, you know, the, the public square um, or the agora, as you'd, you'd know it as, is... Um, is it's that is, ancient history thing again, isn't there? <laughs> there we are, yeah. <laughs> is, is more murky than ever. And what that leads to is the fear of having an opinion out there. And, uh, and so uh, having an opinion, but then also engaging in, in, in meaningful and respectful debate as well. And I think my role, not as a, you know, it's not my core role, but, but the role that I kind of see myself playing as an effective leader and, 
and, and you know, agent of, of, of change is actually being able to bring differing ideas and perspectives together to be able to sit in the murkiness of discussion and debate and then ultimately kind of lead to common ground or a particular outcome. And so when I think about well, what is the bigger picture that I kind of hold around impact and change in, in your future that, um, you know, that I want to help kind of define and, and create is a society that not everyone needs to agree on everything, but we need to have the ability to, to sit in discomfort. Again, that discomfort and find comfort in there, but then also the ability to, to be informed and to have respect for each other and opinions and approaches and to be able to have those kind of conversations. And so I think, you know, the, the role that I'll ultimately play and the role that I hope to play in, in, you know, going forward is actually the role of a good convener. Again, the, the, the power of sitting at a long table and breaking bread. That's a fantastic place for us to finish this conversation. I think Benson, I've got some thoughts about how we might uh, craft a third conversation around leadership. Um, I'm dying to get into it now, but let's save that for another day. Thank you so much for sharing with us such a well thought through and such a balanced perspective about the way in which we can manage complexity in the world. For so many of our listeners out there, the world is a challenging place now and the idea of, of helping to prepare students through an education to thrive within that complexity is at the very heart of what they do. We're inspired by game changers in classrooms and other learning contexts all over the world every day who do it. And part of the aim of this whole podcast series is to show those people that there are other people out there doing, like you, doing things that in ways mirror the sorts of things that are being done on an everyday basis. So thank you for sharing this story with us. And shall we do it one more time shortly? Absolutely. would love to come back. Yeah. Thanks very much, Benson. Talk to you soon. The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions. It's powered by a schoolfortomorrow.com and circle.education. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Spotify and on Google. If you like what you hear, tell your friends, subscribe, like, you know what to do. Let's go.